Welcome back to Outside the System. In this episode, I spoke with my friend John Gennadis. John is the creator of a popular iPhone app called PNC, which helps users measure their hydration and health. John's progression and journey as an independent creator is super inspiring to me. When he was in middle school, he created a YouTube-esque show, before YouTube was a thing, that somehow made it to TV. John is also a DJ, and you can find links to his mixes in the show notes. As always, if you're enjoying the show, a review or a share on social would be super helpful in spreading the word. If you're getting value from outside the system, you can also support financially using Bitcoin on the Fountain Podcast Player or any other podcast app that supports podcasting 2.0. Let's get into the episode. John, we're finally doing this. I know I've texted you about this a few times, and thanks for agreeing to uh, to come on. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Yeah, so um, I don't know if you would agree with this, but I think of you as one of my most outside-the-system uh, friends, just given like there's the things that even you're working on right now, like the stuff that we talk about, um, you know, the way that you made... I would say like maybe a thousand dollars a day or eight hundred dollars a day by walking. Like, there's some cool. We'll get into that story, um, but just like your way of kind of operating and living is just not how you know I would say a typical person in our generation, uh, you know, kind of operates. And so I like you're just kind of uh, one of my friends that I always look to for for outside the system ways of of living. So um, with that, would love to kind of dive into what you're working on right now. Uh, your app, which uh, I always feel funny when I say this out loud, but PNC, um, which is super interesting. And actually, when I first heard about it, I was like, I don't understand what the purpose of this is. But it actually makes a ton of sense once you understand it a little bit better. So yeah, I'll let you kind of introduce that. Yeah, sure. So uh, P and C, P-E-E ampersand S-E-E. It's the number one, number one app. It's a water reminder app and um, hydration monitoring app. And uh, we can get more into the details, but basically I was getting headaches all the time. There are a ton of apps that um, help people drink more water, but they're based on how much water you drink. And so I was sitting there with a headache one day, years ago, probably in 2015. And I was thinking about those apps and thinking about, well, I think I'm getting headaches due to dehydration, but all these other apps require tracking my water intake. And, you know, that's hard. I'm not drinking out of a graduated cylinder or something. You know, I don't know the exact measurements of water that I'm having. And plus, if I'm going in a sauna or I'm going for a run or it's, you know, really hot out, I'm going to need more water than, um, you know, days where I might just be kind of sitting around and doing less. So I had the idea, uh, how about I make an app that reminds me to drink water when it's been a long time since I peed? Uh, so that uh, that's the, the basic idea of the app is that it reminds you to drink water when it's been a long time since you peed. Um, I kind of just came up with it that way as just like a, a simple idea that I wanted to build for myself. Uh, I started it as a Rails app, so it was a website. And instead of notifications, it would just email users and say, hey, it's time to drink some water. But it was a it was a minimum viable product just to test the idea on my own. Uh, so then I made it so people could make accounts and uh, gave it to some friends. 
and people seem to love it. So even after a couple of weeks, I thought, you know what, I'm going to make uh, an iPhone app. And it was only my second iPhone app. Uh, and a lot of my iPhone development skills, I've learned to build this specific app. Um, but, uh, basically I, I built the first version of it and then put it out there and people started using it, uh, and they really loved it. So, uh, it kind of went from there. Um, and now years later, uh, I've noticed that there are a lot of people using it. They're very engaged. Um, and I, it was always a side project to me. It was just like a fun thing I made just for myself. I put it out there. People started to use it. I started to hear from users who really loved it and, you know, it was really improving their health and improving their lives. Um, and then I heard from a hydration researcher, uh, who spent his whole career researching hydration specifically for, uh, sports and, and really just in general. Um, and he reached out to me to say, you nailed it. Like, this is exactly the type of thing. This is a better way to track somebody's hydration than, uh, tracking water intake. And he said, it's, for most people, you know, it is possible to drink too much water. It's not telling you, you know, you should always drink water when you get this notification, but it's meant to keep you more in tune with your body than these apps that are just about water tracking. Um, and yeah. the reason why I, I thought about that is that it's so much easier. You know, you just tap one button every time you're walking to the restroom and it reminds you to drink water when it's been a long time since you peed. Yeah. And it kind of closes the loop. Like you always hear like, Oh, drink like eight glasses of water a day or whatever. Right. But like that doesn't actually take into account the, um, how much is exiting your system? Like your point about like, if you go to the sauna or you have a hard workout versus the days you're just kind of sitting around, the water intake shouldn't be the same because your output isn't the same either. It's like, it's like if you run a marathon on one day and you, you know, sit around on your couch the next day, it's like your calorie intake probably shouldn't be the same either. <laughs> um, so why should right. your water intake be the same? Yeah, but we don't think about water the same way, I think, like in general. Yeah, and um, I, I linked to some studies in the app that support the, the thesis of the app. But uh, really, you know, it was out there for probably about five or six years um, with some users that have used it that entire time. There's a leaderboard where you can go look in the app and see people's streaks. And, you know, some people are on a 2000 plus day streak. Wow. And, so you've like um, gamified it. Yeah. Yeah. So and that's that's, you know, it's I, I need to be very careful about that because I don't want to, you know, reward people for logging peas or, you know, peeing all the time, because, you know, that's not, uh, that's not the point. I don't want people to, you know, get, um, you know, injured because, uh, that is actually, you know, an issue is you can drink too much water, especially if you're not having enough salt. Uh, and I plan to add more education around that to the app, but, uh, yeah. So I saw that I had something pretty sticky, uh, where people seem to love it. And I hear from users all the time that enjoy it. So a couple of years ago, I actually decided to take it a bit more seriously and really focus on it. So it was pretty much a side project that there were years I barely touched it at all. And it was just out there with people using it. Uh, but now I would say about two years ago, uh, I started really focusing on it um, as you know, something I really wanted to pursue. And now this year, specifically in 2023, um, I've made a ton of changes and there are a lot of big changes coming in the next couple of months, um, that are really going to make it a much better app experience. 
did you see something that made you want to commit more to it? Like what, what led to that shift between side project to something you spend more time on? Oh, there are a lot of things about it. So uh, one thing I would say is the reviews. So it gets a lot of good reviews. Um, and I went to the Apple Developers Conference in um, 2019. It was the last one that was actually in person, WWDC out in San Jose. And um, that's an opportunity to actually talk to some of the engineers at Apple. And I was over at some of the labs there and I was talking to people on the Apple Watch team. And ever since uh, 2014, 2015, when, you know, the first, I think it was around then when the first Apple Watch was announced and then actually came out, um, I thought, wow, this would actually be the perfect platform for my app because um, it's uh, it's a, such a quick interaction. And they always stress that is that, you know, hey, within three seconds, you should be able to do an interaction um, on an app. And so I was showing it to some people that are actually on, on the Apple Watch team and they loved it. And so that was kind of one signal that was early on where I thought, huh, maybe I have something here. Um, another thing I mentioned is the streaks. You know, there are uh, hundreds and hundreds of people with, there are, there are thousands of people with like a streak over seven days. And I just thought that it was, you know, sticky in that sense that, um, you know, people are really using this app and they, you know, stick to the habit and it helps them form a habit. And I like to think of it like there are all these games that people are playing all the time that form these, you know, habits where they're, you know, addicted to this game. Well, how about if I make something that helps people form a good habit? Um, so it was a combination of emails from users. It was uh, the reviews in the app store. It was seeing the long streaks. And I really love the process of iPhone app development. Um, I have several other apps, but uh, because of this one, I just thought because it has so many people that are benefiting from it, I really wanted to focus on it. Yep. And uh, yeah, so, so that was really, I think that's what it was um, combined with it's a great creative outlet. I love the process of putting something out there, letting people use it. I hear back from users and some of the best ideas I get for the app and the, the direction I take it is from users. Yeah. And I actually want to go back to the habit formation thing. Um, I mean, this is, this is a great example of like, I don't even want to say gamifying, but this idea of streaks, like people seem to really like that in general. Um, but then, you know, both of us were into, uh, and I got into it because of you, it's always going to blame me for this, but uh, step in, which was a, uh, well, I'll let you talk about it, but I actually think that's a, a great example of ha of good habit formation using incentives and gamification, not saying you're doing that with PNC, but, um, it was just, it's kind of actually a really interesting highlight because it made me, and I think it did this for a lot of people that used it. It turned like walking into like a daily habit, um, where I, I wouldn't say I had that habit before I always enjoyed walks, but I wasn't like, I would just go on a walk every day. Like it would just be one of those things that if it happened, it happened. And this really kind of turned it into like, not just a daily habit, but like something you were always kind of thinking about, like, have I used all my energy for today? So, um, yeah, I guess like, do you see a parallel between that, those two things? And, uh, did that, in, you know, teach you anything or, or influence the app at all? Obviously you're not doing a crypto uh... thing, but just want to 
yeah, just want to see if there's like a connection there. I wouldn't say that influenced uh, PNC directly, um, but there are a lot of apps that keep track of a streak. Like Duolingo, for example, is I heard a great interview uh, with the founder of Duolingo. Um, he's actually a professor, or I don't know if he's still a professor at CMU, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, when he, I was I don't know when I was living in, but yeah. When I was living in Pittsburgh, I actually went to a presentation in 2010 when he was launching Duolingo, and I always thought it was a great idea. Um, but then uh, I heard him on Tim Ferriss's podcast, and that was actually another signal um, with my app that made me really want to pursue it because uh, that was something he talked about on that interview. I would recommend it too to anybody who hasn't heard that interview. It's it's very good. Um, and if you're not familiar, Duolingo is a free language learning app. Um, and so he knew that they were onto something when they had people with a streak over one year. And so when I heard that, I thought, wow, well, I have people with a streak of, you know, four, five, six years. Maybe I should really pursue this more because honestly, in my opinion, it's a pretty crappy app. <laughs> it still is, you know. And uh, there's so much I want to change. There's so much in my head that I'm still trying to get into that app. Um, and so I think anybody it's who really creates been... anything though feels that way. I, I feel that <laughs> way. Like every time you you or like somebody texts me something nice about the podcast, I'm like, uh, there's so much I want to do better about the podcast. Like it's nice that they're saying that, but it's, you know, this is like 5% of where I want it to be. So uh, I think it, that's like a normal reaction, I think, as a creator of anything to because to, you have this vision in your head, right? And like, it'll eventually hopefully get there. But where it is today, obviously doesn't match up with the vision in your head. But the audience, you know, your users, they're just seeing what it is today and that it solves their needs and that they're happy with it. So um, it's like, you know, for the audience, they love it. Uh, and you as the creator sometimes are like more dissatisfied with it than anyone else would be. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, and like I said, I mean, I really have been taking it seriously the past couple of years, but that was, um, you know, a lot of the work I've been doing was behind the scenes. I mean, when I built this in original, a lot of the original stuff was from about 2015, 2016. And I was a pretty bad iPhone developer then, and it was a mess. And it was kind of like this house of cards behind the scenes where everything was working. It was kind of MacGyvered together, but I wasn't expecting it to really work consistently. And I knew that I couldn't make big changes, a lot of the big changes I wanted to make with that set up the way it was. So I spent most of 2022 rewriting a lot of that stuff. And now I'm getting into the fun part where I can actually, you know, tack on a lot of these new features that I want to um, now that all the syncing and backup and restoration of people's data um, is, is working well, because that's a really important thing to me is, you know, I don't want anybody who's using this app to ever lose data or to have any kind of corruption of data since it is, you know, somewhat health related. Um, and, you know, I guess, you, you know, you could consider this health data. And that's why I also have designed it in a way where I can't even access people's P data. It just gets hmm. saved in the user's iCloud account privately um, and restored and everything and backed up. And, and I, I don't even have access to it. Yeah, that's I mean, and then uh, did this guy reaching out this uh, hydration researcher, did that influence you at all as well? Because it probably 
I don't know when you first told me about that, I was like, it like opened up the idea for me of like, wow, this is actually probably useful to people who have like some kind of medical condition or at least worried about something. Not that it's like a medical app, but it's probably still a useful tool in the same way that people might have been, you know, making a like a notepad with tracking this information. Um, now they have like a tool to, to do that. It's a lot easier. So that's actually a pretty common thing is, is um, people use paper, pen and paper to track this. Uh, I found, I've found this out since, you know, it started off for me as, okay, simplest form. I tap a button every time I pee, I get a reminder when it's been, you know, over three hours uh, because that just seems like a reasonable time frame I came up with. And then over time, it turns out that's actually about three, three and a half, four hours during the day is a pretty decent time frame, um, you know, for that type of reminder. And definitely, uh, when this researcher contacted me, um, that was a big influence on me because of how many great things he had to say about the concept. And I, up until then, you know, it, it started off as kind of a joke thing, you know, the name P and C, it's really meant to be, um, you know, you log your P's and then you see how hydrated you are and how good you feel. Or, you know, you can look at it like you see the data, which I'm actually adding a lot of visualizations. And then there's another fun feature that I've added more recently, uh, I guess, in the past couple of years uh, called see where you peed. And that's uh, where as you're logging your P's, it saves the location. And that's actually one of the coolest side effects of using this app is you get this map of your entire life and where you've been. Um, and so, so cool. that's actually something that like once you've used it for a year, you realize like, wow, I, I it's like the, I, what I, the way I describe it in the app is it's a low effort journal of your life. You know, yep. you see on this map everywhere you've been and, and um, it's, it's pretty fun, you know, once you've really got into it. But yeah, talking to him uh, really opened my eyes to it being um, a serious thing. But there are a lot of people who use it who have different medical conditions, like bladder conditions, kidney conditions, um, all kinds of things. And so I'm actually exploring um, creating a separate mode that's just pee tracking without uh, the water reminder aspect, because there are a lot of people who use it that way. But really at the end of the day, what I'm focused on is I want to get, um, you know, this is a, a meaningful thing for me to work on because I know it's helping people stay more hydrated from the people that contact me. And I want to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm making something that is for that audience. There are over, I think it's about a hundred million Apple watches out there. And I like to focus on making a great Apple Watch experience. So if I can tap into a lot of these people who, whatever they're doing, if they're more hydrated, they'll be better at it. Um, that's what I want to do is I want to help people form that habit around drinking enough water and staying hydrated. And, um, you know, a number of things have kind of pushed me in that direction. That's awesome. Um, one thing I want to get into, uh, which is... Uh, your background. So like there's a story that you told me once about something you did in high school where you kind of had like a show and it was like YouTube before YouTube. Uh, I thought that was just like so interesting because I'm always interested in people's origin stories, like how they got into this kind of creator stuff. Um, this is this is one of the coolest stories. So yeah, I would love for you to talk about that. And then um, I also am just kind of curious, like how did that get on TV? 
like how were you able to to have that happen where like, i remember you told me it's like people could just find it on tv how like how did a high school kid make that happen sure uh so yeah the ben and john show uh real creative name my friend ben and i made it uh so it was on actually it was it was in middle school we started it um and this was in like the late 90s early 2000s so it was uh there's the way that it came about is i was watching tv one day one night and um you know there was the channel channel which is like the channel that shows the list that's scrolling with all the channels and uh on channel 14 at 10:30 at night there was this show called the stupid dumb show and i thought what is the show you know <laughs> i'm going to watch it and i watched it and it was like it looked like it was just a vhs tape playing and it was you know these people kind of goofing around making funny skits and stuff and um then after the show there was a screen up that had a phone number and it said hey if you want to learn about public access and getting a a show on this channel call this number so I called the number. I went through the process. I met this guy who was the access coordinator was his title, Gary. And he was in charge of the whole station. And he was like the only guy in charge of this you know, TV station. And it actually comes from some, I forget when it was like mid nineties legislation or maybe even earlier than that or for cable providers where they had to provide a channel for anybody from the community to put a show on TV, public access, community access, you know, um, a lot, it, it used to be a bigger thing and it was, um, so, so basically, uh, did that process to actually get a time slot. And then the process was basically, uh, my friend Ben and I would record, uh, whatever. I, I, I mean, it, it started off as kind of, um, there was the MTV show Jackass and there was also this MTV show, Tom Green, the Tom Green show. And so we had seen those and we were kind of like, oh, we don't want to like, injure ourselves but like we could go around in public and do funny things and you know we just had these different ideas or parodies and parodies of infomercials and so we would re record them and it was basically on like a, a vhs camcorder and um then i would edit the show by taking two vcrs and i would you know push pause on one, record, pause, you know, and, and edit it that way. And it was very rough. It was very time consuming, but it was all we had. Um, and then in that was for maybe like the first only three episodes. Then in 2001, Apple came out with the iMac DV, which was the first iMac that had uh, FireWire, which is you could plug um, you know, certain camcorders into it and and luckily Ben's family had one of the camcorders that was compatible with it. Um, and my mom needed a computer and bought one of these iMac DVs. And so it was just, you know, a couple of things coming together where it was like, Oh, now I can edit this show digitally. And that was a really big deal at the time. Now we take it for granted. We can do it on our phones, you know, but this was incredible because it meant I could plug, you know, we could record a bunch of stuff. I could plug it into the computer, load it in, edit it. And then, you know, basically export this whole half hour show ready to go with like nice title screens and everything. And then Some put that effects. on a VHS tape. <laughs> Yeah, minimal special effects. If you look at the first iMovie, it was crazy. But then the process was to put it on a VHS tape, 
at the end of this whole thing. And then my mom would give me a ride out. It was maybe like 20 minutes away to the cable like building where they broadcast it. And there was a, a cupboard and you'd open the cupboard and there was a shelf for each day. So Monday, Tuesday. So I'd put it in the Tuesday shelf and it just had the name of the show on it. And when it turned, it was, you know, 930 on Tuesday night, someone would take it out of that shelf and put it in a VCR and it would end up on TV. So it was on channel 14. And uh, so people would be channel surfing and they'd find this show and, and just 14 is a pretty low, 14 is a pretty low number. Yeah. Like it's pretty easy. And this is one 14. It it was when there were, uh, you know, maybe a hundred channels at most, you know, so people would hang out in those low channels and find it. And um, it was just, it was really fun because we would get recognized around the area because people would just find it and watch it. And I think we were also kind of ahead of our time because this was in like, you know, 2002, 2003, and we had a website and an email address. And so we would show the email address on the show and say, hey, write to us. And then we would read the emails. We would have an email segment where we would read email on the show. Um, and again, this was all before YouTube, like you couldn't really publish video online very easily or inexpensively because, um, you know, YouTube didn't come out until like 2006. Right. Wow. You had like the no agenda show before the no agenda show. <laughs> <laughs> no, cause you know how like they read out emails on, on air. I mean, yeah. so many people do that. Um, that was smart. Did you guys like come up with that yourself or did you like see that there was another show doing something like that? Like the email thing, like the website and email thing. Cause I feel like that was so early on in the, like the history of the internet that for like a middle school, you know, okay. If somebody did that in like 2012, it's like, all right, yeah, everybody's doing that at that point. But like 2002, I mean, I remember it wasn't like a simple process to make a website. And, and even no, like, it definitely wasn't. Kid. Yeah, it was just like HTML that I was. Editing no, that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. Yep. No, that's what I mean. It uh, wasn't like you I could was just, just spin up a page in like 30 seconds. Yeah, I was just really into, you know, Internet stuff and computers. And uh, I don't really remember how we had the idea. I think it was maybe just something that we had seen on like actual TV shows you know, or they have an email address and you can write to them. I can't really remember the the origins of the email segment, um, but I think we just started including the email address in the credits at the end. And then at the yeah. point we were starting to get enough emails, we thought, well, it's pretty tough. This is the other thing we found out pretty quickly. It's hard to fill half an hour of TV. And there were, we, we weren't allowed because it's a free station. One of the rules is you're not allowed to have advertisements in the show. So we would take, we would have commercial breaks and it would just be our parody ads, but (laughs) we didn't, there were no real commercials. You know, it was, it was, we had that full 30 minutes to fill and sometimes we couldn't. And I'd put, you know, like five minutes of the logo of the show at the end, but (laughs) you know, we'd usually try to fill as much as we could of that, you know, half hour yeah well too bad value for value didn't exist at the time um because that would have been yeah (laughs) well it probably wouldn't have been allowed on a public access anyway but um yeah i don't know 
But it, it, it really, it was fun because it really evolved over the years because then Final Cut Pro came out and I got into that. And then it was pretty funny too, because, you know, I, I just learned all this on my own from playing around, which is like growing up, I was always on the computer. I, you know, get a new application on the computer and go through every single menu and preference and see what everything does. And so it was actually when I was in, by the time I got to high school, I was pretty good at all of this. And I remember like my junior year of high school, um, there was a media production class and the teacher would look up my schedule and like come to whatever class I was in. And, uh, or actually it was even earlier, freshman year. I remember I was in earth science class and he would come knock on the door and say, Hey, can you come like show someone how to do this thing? So it was <laughs> funny that he was like pulling me out of class. And then I got in trouble. Uh, I forget what year it was. I got a bunch of five o'clock detentions where you have to stay after school until five o'clock because there was a guy for Halloween. He was uh, party boy UK from Jackass or party boy. I don't, I, you know, the guy that would like rip his pants off and he had a thong under and would like dance around. Do you remember this? No, it's from a long time ago. Well, he was that for Christmas or for, um, sorry. He was that for Halloween and uh, someone recorded it and he did that in front of the whole school, ripped his pants off and was dancing around the vice principal. And I put the video on the internet and that was such a novel thing at the time where they got so mad at me. And then I thought I had taken it down because I realized like by the end of that day, like, oh, this is really bad. I'm going to get in trouble for this. And and so I, I took it down from one place. But then the next morning, I, I got called into the principal's office and he turned his monitor around and it was there, like the video was there. And, you know, they didn't know how to handle this at the time because, you know, people weren't putting videos on the Internet. Again, it was right. like a couple of years before YouTube. Um, so, yeah, it kind of came back to bite me. But, you know, it was fun. <laughs> yeah, you learn a lot, I'm sure. Um, yeah. And then how like so then what it like how did that kind of contribute then later to your to your journey like how did you land from like the way that i see it right it's like it kind of was your first maybe not your first but one of your first forays into like doing something and creating something independently because later on you know to have kind of the there's i mean i guess the word i would use is like confidence to be like okay i'm just going to create this app that i think is useful to me and maybe other people also find it useful there is like not everybody has that and i've i've found at least in talking to other people there's always like a journey to kind of get there to have like that confidence that okay yeah i'll just work on this and kind of see what happens um was there anything in between that that i mean i'm sure there's a lot in between that but like any other projects in between kind of like this doing this show and then um and then pnc that are you know you kind of view as noteworthy on this uh this journey Oh, I mean, I think there are a lot of things in my past that, you know, I wish I embraced it more early on, but I was just, you know, kind of weird and different. And, you know, I would just kind of come up with ideas and and, and do things. And, um, you know, I kind of wish I, I embraced that sooner and, and realized that like, hey, you know, you can kind of just do what you want and not really care what other people think of it. Um, you know, like, uh, I just... Well, okay. So when I was in high school, I had, um, uh, I would detail cars. So like I had my own business. I, I, oh, here's what happened is I, I worked at a car wash for like two months 
And again, this is, I guess, kind of along the lines of what you're saying. I worked at the car wash for two months and I was making terrible money. Uh, and I just thought I could, and, oh, the other thing is that they had me on interiors and I only got like 15 minutes per car. And these cars were disgusting, especially if you get a smoker's car and it's like, you have to wash the windows like three times and they still have streaks. So I just thought I could do a much better job if I had more time and I could charge a lot more. So I ended up uh, weaving that job and I started a car detailing business and it wasn't very big, but you know, I could charge like over a hundred bucks. I think at first I was charging way under charging and I could hang onto the car for like four hours. There's something here where like, I, I did the exact same thing, but with like, I was, I was working at this like tennis club and getting terrible money. And then I was like, I'm the one actually doing all the classes. Why don't I just like, like, why am I making minimum wage when I know they're paying like $50 for this class? So yeah, I did basically the exact same thing, but with tennis lessons and obviously make way more money. But yeah, there's, there's something to like thinking that way. Like, I don't know what makes like, is, yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's, we're never going to solve this on the podcast, but is it like, and it, is it like something you learn? Is it something that's innate? Um, hard to, hard to say, but you had that like thought process of like, why am I doing this? I could do a way better job if I do this, this and that and make a lot more money. Uh, but like, that's, th there's something to like people are like you, you kind of thought of that so early like, you were in high school. Well, and the the other thing that really frustrated me that I mentioned is the that I only got 15 minutes per car and it frustrated me that I wasn't allowed to do a better job if I yep. wanted to do a better job. You know, it was like, hey, you have to do four cars an hour this is and what like, it is. there's a there was a they the cars were on a conveyor belt that kept moving. You know, I had to do it that fast. It was crazy and like you got in trouble if you had to actually go and stop the conveyor. So it wasn't just, you know, a metaphorical thing. And um and so what actually happened is uh one of the guys whose car I detailed regularly was a financial advisor and his daughter had been working for him and she had an injury, so she had to be out for a while. And so he was a little bit short-staffed. And so he asked me, he was like, hey, do you want to come work like as my intern at, at the office? And uh, so I did. Uh, this was when I was in college, actually. And um, so that, I think, was a very foundational experience because it showed me that I don't want an office job. Like, I don't want a nine-to-five uh, because it was like, you know, I go in, have to get there by eight o'clock, I have to wear a tie to work, you know, like, and then what really did it for me is we were, you know, this was on like the 18th floor of a building. So not super high up, but I was looking outside at the clouds and like on a beautiful summer day. And I was just thinking, oh no, is this what happens? Like after college is all these people just have to come to this office and be here all summer, you know, all day on all these beautiful days. And I just thought, you know, I need to find a way to not have to do that. That is, um, that is basically like, I think something a lot of people, like I, I went through something very similar as well in my first office job. And I was like, I don't think I could do this for the rest of my life. Um, especially once you've already had that taste of independent work. It's very, very hard um, if that office life doesn't kind of suit you to force yourself to to go into that. Um, and you just kind of start looking for alternatives. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, what, like, 
pivoting a little bit back to to uh, PNC, the other thing that I've been impressed by is, uh, and everybody, you know, I'm not knocking people who raise money, but um, people who have kind of maybe bootstrapped something to a moderate level of success, often the first thing they think about is like, oh, I can go fundraise now and like build a team and like do all this stuff. And, and even if they don't fundraise, they often are making enough money to like hire somebody. And you've really kept it like an indie business where you're just, you're the only person, you know, at least as far as I know, you're the only person, you're not fundraising, like you're really building it, not just you're building what you want, you're also building it in the way that you want. Um, and I think that's kind of inspiring. Like, is that something you're consciously doing? Like you're, you're making sure it, you're, you're trying to build the business in a way that also lets you live the lifestyle that you want to live? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I forget where I heard this recently. I think it was on uh, Bology's podcast, the Network State podcast. Um, but he interviewed someone from Shopify who was saying that he hates that lifestyle business got invented by some VCs, like the idea of a lifestyle business as a bad thing, where it's like, oh, you just have a business that lets you live your lifestyle. Like it's not very aspirational when he said, you know what we used to call that a business, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's, that's so it. And, true. and so, yes. <laughs> so yeah, I really, um, I, I love working on it and, you know, it's like pretty much most of the day, that's all I want to be doing a lot of days. And, um, you know, I, I've had, we haven't really talked about any of that, you know, we don't need to get into it, but I've had a number of different businesses over the years where I've had employees or, uh, had other stakeholders who funded the business and things like that. And um, I saw some of these other iOS developers out there that are just operating independently and making, you know, one really good app on their own. And, uh, you know, for example, Slopes, I'm a snowboarder and there's this amazing app, Slopes. And when you go to any ski resort, so many people are using this app now. And it's just such a high quality app. And this one guy, Curtis, now he has a couple of people working with him that he's hired, but it be because it's become so successful. But, you know, he was just building this app on his own. And, um, you know, there are a number of people like that where I see them and I think, well, if they can do it, you know, I can do something like this and, um, you know, build it up. And, you know, it, it's in the past, I thought I wanted to have a big company with a lot of employees, but, you know, you quickly learn, um, there's a lot that comes with that. You know, I had the state of California coming after me for years because I hired someone part-time in California for like half of a year and they I had to pay all these fines and all this stuff. And it's just like, it, there are a lot, there are a lot of headaches that come along with, you know, employees and, um, you know, like just that whole other stakeholders. And so I wanted to give it a try just on my own and, and really, you know, be the only decision maker and, and just, you know, do what I wanted to do. And then also inject some personality into the app. You know, when you use it, it's very clear that it's one person making it. And, um, you know, I even invite people to, to send me a, a text, you know, you can message me right in the app. Um, if you have questions or, um, you know, if you're having issues, you can send screenshots and things like that. So, um, no, I think that's, so yeah, that's a I great mean, I, part of the playbook. Uh, Ryan, Ryan Culp did that with FOMO, uh, in the early days, obviously then it got to a point where it couldn't, couldn't be done, but he put his phone number on the homepage and 
you know, he was like, it was the best thing to get a call because, you know, I mean, somebody cares about the product. <laughs> it's like, you know, I think in especially yeah. early days, it's like so necessary. Have you thought about um, like what happens if you get, you know, 10 times the number of users that you currently have? Like, do you do you think you would ever need a customer support or do your do your users know that this is just like a one person team? Like, it's just you behind it. Like, how much of of John do they see as part of the app or is it like they have no idea who's behind the app? Oh, if you go into the app and go into the settings, like you can get to some sections that, you know, it's just, you know, I talk about that. I say, hey, it's just me making this app, you know, reach out if you have any questions, things like that. Um and uh, so I've tried to add some self-service types of things that I've like what I've seen in some other apps. So there's a detailed user guide in the app that explains all the different settings and and how everything works. Um, and I've created that and expanded that over time because it helps answer the questions that I get via email and text the most. So I like that because then people can kind of maybe find the answer themselves before they contact me or if they do contact me i can kind of guide them to the right place um but yeah i mean i would say that it's a good problem to have if you know if i have too many users emailing me and, and contacting me um you know i can always take my my uh the text link out if that becomes overwhelming um you know maybe i would hire someone to to you know help with customer service or something like that um, you know, some apps I know they just don't offer customer service, uh, you know, but I, I like to talk to users, you know, it, like I said, it's one of the best ways I find out, especially when I find out people are using it for a way I didn't intend, but then that leads to, you know, future development that, that makes the app better for everybody. Totally. Um, yeah, I think that's actually like the best way to learn about what your users want. Like, I think people overcomplicate it. People, I mean... There's, I guess there's two schools of thought. There's like customers don't know what they want necessarily or users don't know what they want until you put it in front of them. But then there's also the school of thought of like users will tell you what's missing or what they're hoping the app can do. You just got to listen. Uh, whereas a lot of people and don't listen. And it's probably like a blending of the two. You know, you anticipate the needs. And I think in your case, the other thing that's really helpful for you is that you were actually and are probably an ideal user of this app too. So you can kind of look at what the features are and what it what it does and be like, oh, I wish I actually did this. Like that would be super cool. Or like you can kind of put your 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 um your feet in their position. You know, you're kind of putting your head in 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 the like you're just completely like you're both the creator and the user. Um and it's kind of like I've heard similar things from musicians say like as long as they make music that sounds good to them, they are like they know people will like it. Like they're just like, yeah, I know if I like it, then other people will also like it. Yes, I am using the app and um, I use a lot of the features, but I would also say that it does make testing hard sometimes because I'll build features that I don't regularly use. Like for example, a lot of people wanted to be able to add a note on each P and especially for medical reasons, you know, people were asking for all kinds of things like, oh, I want to keep track of the volume or the urgency. And like all people are measuring all this stuff and want to keep track of it or their doctors will tell them, hey, I want to, you know, know about all this stuff. And so I don't ever keep notes on mine. So when there's a bug with that, I don't, um, you know, know that unless someone reaches out to me. So, um, 
I do use and, and test and, um, you know, enjoy most of the features myself, but, uh, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm building something that I enjoy and use every day. Uh, you know, so yeah. Yep. Yeah. You're user number one, basically. Um, as we so as we kind of wrap up a couple of things uh that i still had on my list but one in particular um which i'm definitely going to link to in the show notes uh you're also a part-time dj and that is something that i don't know if you were expecting to talk about this today but i i know your sets you know it's not like you have millions and millions of views on youtube but i am a good chunk of the views that you have i think um, because i listen to them while i'm doing work at least the two that uh that i have kind of on my playlist on on youtube um what got you kind of into that how what was that journey like was it just another example of like something you were curious about and started doing or like what what got you into djing oh i mean i've always been interested in music and um I mean, I love listening to music and live music, going to live music. And uh, I have played a couple of different instruments on and off, but nothing, you know, too well. But um, I was always interested in DJing and I did buy some like actual turntables way back in the day, but it was before Serato. I don't know if people are familiar with that, but that's the thing where it's basically like, even though there are real records, all the sound is really coming from the computer and you just have files and it's like, it's a, you know, more modern, easier system than actually having real vinyl. But uh, I bought that. It was very difficult and I, I got pretty discouraged. So I sold that equipment. A couple of years later, I had an iPad and I would use an app called DJ, D-J-A-Y. It's like spelled out um, on that. And I would I would play on that a lot just like for myself, you know, for fun. It's like a more active way to listen to music I like and mix it together. Or I'd, you know, have some friends around and, you know, I would play music and, and you know, it was fun. I would do that all the time. Um, in 2008, I also did a project that uh, it was a podcast. It was called the Daily Beat Podcast. So in, I think it was May 2008, um, every single day, I, in the morning, I would make a beat uh, in logic pro. And then I would release it on the podcast feed, but then there was also a website, uh, which was a rails app and on the, you could up and downvote them. And then you could also download the logic files. So it was like open source. So you could take the logic files and you could, you know, do whatever you wanted with that. Um, so I did that for like one month. No one really was paying attention to it or, you know, uh, actually did anything with it, but it was like, that was kind of on the production side. And I realized it's almost like when you get into these, um, the digital audio workstation apps, like, you know, uh, logic in my case, there are so many parameters and, and, you know, so many, so few constraints that it's almost like you, you can be in there forever. And so I decided, you know what, I like the DJing better. I ended up buying, um, you know, like an actual controller, like with the physical buttons and stuff. So I could, you know, instead of the iPad, I actually started going and, you know, getting some gigs playing places. Um, but then I, you know, kind of like 
it, it was a similar feeling to like having a bunch of employees where I thought, oh, this isn't actually what I want. And, you know, I was sick of it because people just come up and want to hear like top 40 songs. And, <laughs> you know, it was they're like drunk and annoying. And so then I, uh, I just decided, you know, what, I'm just going to do it on my own. So I don't really do it out and about places anymore. I just kind of like do it for fun or for friends parties and stuff like that. Or for YouTube, you know, I did a couple of times. I need to make more of those mixes. Dude, I will, I will 100% linking to those in the show notes because they are Thank both you. great mixes, um, especially with the background because at that point you were in Florida and you had this apartment overlooking the ocean and that's in the background. It's just like a great working vibe, especially if it's if it's not nice out where you are. Um, it's just a good, like, puts you in the, in the right mood. Um, so as we wrap up... Uh, John, where can people connect with you, find you? I'm going to link to the app, obviously, in the show notes um, and to your Twitter account, uh, as well as as your mixes, obviously. Uh, but yeah, where where else where, where else should people connect with you? And um, PNC, obviously, if someone's interested in using that, absolutely. Uh, down, you can just download that in the app store, right? Yeah, that's a free app uh, with an optional subscription. So I didn't mention the business model, but it's a free app with no ads, which is like, you know, I don't want to put ads in it. I've had other ad supported businesses in the past, and that's a really big deal to me. And then it has an optional subscription that unlocks some extra features. But some people, I think, just subscribe because they like it. But um, yeah, I, and again, if you're downloading that app, it's going to change a lot in the next six months. The whole user interface is going to get a lot better and, and easier to understand. So if you are using it, you have feedback, get in touch with me. Let me know what you think. But um, I'm not very active on Twitter, really. I mean, I, I read it a lot. I don't really tweet a lot. Um, you can also follow me on Instagram. It's the same username as Twitter. Um, you can get in touch with me there if you want. Uh, yeah. YouTube. I think that's about it. YouTube. I, I don't really post much to YouTube. If you go on my YouTube, there it's a very random uh, mix of videos. But I would like to, you know, maybe I will get into the DJ more. I have a couple of friends that um, also I've got into DJing and, um, you know, maybe I'll collaborate with them or do more. But if anybody does like the DJing stuff, get in touch and let me know about that because I appreciate it. Yeah. I feel like I text you about that every couple of weeks. <laughs> I'm like listening to your mix again. Um <laughs> Cool. Well, John, thank you for coming on. Uh, this has been fun. And uh, I think there's we have a bunch of other topics to talk about next time. So we will absolutely <laughs> okay. be doing this again. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Neil. Great talking.